Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, everybody, to Fruit Loops Season 2, Episode 17. Thank you so goddamn much for listening. Uh, Fruit <laughs> Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. Uh, there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well, the news is racist, allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We are not journalists. We're not investigators, nor are we psychologists. We're just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, Mm -hmm. the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Mm. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. Facebook. That's we right. are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. Now, if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our uh, Podbean patron page. Or if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on the old iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. That's right. So that's right. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we are talking about Rodney James Alcala. He was uh, born Rodrigo Jacques Alcala Bucor. But he's also known as the dating game killer. Alcala Mm. is a Mexican-American convicted rapist and serial killer. 
He was convicted of killing seven women and girls, but his true victim count remains unknown and could be much, much higher. Mm, oh, boy. Let's, so we're going to get into it. But um, this is a tangent, but I wanted to I didn't want to forget to mention that um, some people refer to Mexican-Americans uh, and they themselves refer to themselves as Chicanos. Um, right. So I wanted to. Uh, or Chicanas. Chicanas, that's right. So, uh, how you doing? I'm doing good. So, I went to a uh, neighborhood wine club dinner last night. I think I mentioned before oh. that my neighborhood, uh, I have friends in my neighborhood and we have a wine club where it's yeah. just an excuse to drink wine, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, we had a dinner last night and it was Mardi Gras themed. And mm. the lady who hosted it is from New Orleans or Nolens. Oh, Nolens. And right. Nolens, yeah. I learned a lot about <laughs> Nolens <laughs> and Mardi Gras. And yeah. it was really fun. So, yeah, just wanted oh. to give a shout out to the wine club. So did you have some <laughs> some pralines or some crawfish? What, did you, what, what was on the menu? We had gumbo. Uh, she made mm. gumbo. And she asked me to make uh, Creole potato salad. So I made Creole potato salad. Somebody wait, brought. Wait, wait. I'm going to have to stop you because okay. black people do have concerns when, when white ladies make the <laughs> potato salad and, and bring it to the party. <laughs> what, what are the concerns? Uh, you didn't put raisins in it, did you? Oh, no. They put, they put unnecessary <laughs> oh, no. ash in it and always no. leave out the seasonings. You didn't do any of that, did you? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> I consider it a crime against humanity when the when, when the white lady brings the the potato salad without enough seasoning. Oh, oh so no, you, there you was made seasoning it, You made it, it accordingly. Okay, okay. Yeah, she gave okay, me the okay. recipe and it had bacon okay. in it and mm. seasonings and oh, yes. yeah, it was delicious. Yeah. Oh, and somebody else brought it. some, uh, I think it was shrimp dip. It was also uh -huh. spicy. And uh, -huh. uh then for dessert we had king cake. Oh yes. Where the baby's in the cake. Yeah. Or the baby and, doll. <laughs> uh, I I did not get the baby, but uh oh. it's okay. <laughs> Cause uh supposedly the the person who gets the baby is supposed to host the the next uh dinner so yeah I didn't get the yeah. baby, that's fine with me. Well, lucky you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I lived in New Orleans for a couple months when I was oh, did you 16. Really? Yeah, and and so when I when I I think I've mentioned I got a full ride scholarship to a uh, an HBC, a historically black college. It was it was the one I spent the two months at, oh, and okay. um, and so I spent a, a a great amount of time in New Orleans in my formative years, and it was the most incredible experience of my entire life. Do you know what a jazz funeral is? I, I I think so. Yeah, but go ahead and explain it. Okay, so a jazz funeral is when they play music during the like procession, and there's a there's this the second line, and so the 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 jazz funeral will go through a neighborhood, and everybody's walking through like all sad and stuff, but then the people trailing on the back uh, will open their doors and come out and dance, and uh, there's 
loud, fun music playing at the back. And that's the second line. And there's dancing and people just celebrating like the life of this person and also being in New Orleans. Well, holy shit. Yeah. I want a jazz funeral. <laughs> yeah. Give me, give me, hook me up with that jazz funeral. Give me a jazz funeral. <laughs> uh, also, uh, in New Orleans, they instead of saying, I'm going to go get some groceries, they say, I'm going to make grocery. Uh, another cool thing about New Orleans is uh, Zydeco music. The uh, that's that. Oh right, that's right. the music that you hear. Uh, you know, that's that's New Orleans style jazz. Yeah, I I love Zydeco. Me too, me too. I think it's fun. And then um, I know that's another really fun thing that I can remember from. Well, I just remember that New Orleans is a very black city, and I got the chance to also go there again in my adult life, in my career as a like career person who works for white people. And um, I uh, took my coworkers <laughs> to a black strip club. <laughs> oh, boy. They, I was like, you guys are gonna love this. And they were so uncomfortable. Because I was, t- I think I was telling you, Beth, because black strip clubs are very different than white ones. So first of all, in a black strip club, if you want to want want to hear the freshest, dopest, coolest music, the new stuff that's out, you need to go to the the, the black strip club. Okay, so a so the music is dope, and then second, black strippers do tricks <laughs> that I don't think some white men have ever seen in their lives. I it was apparent <laughs> when we were there. One one of the things that um black black strippers do, and uh, I could do this if if I tried hard enough, but one of the things that black strippers do is they get their butts to clap so they clap 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 their 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 buttocks when they're when they're twerking and it is it's remarkable and then the athleticism of these of these black these black female strippers is out of this world and so i think it's cool when people from new orleans come over to the west and like share their culture with it's 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 a city like no other no other yeah Uh yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's that's the feeling i got yeah oh my gosh and they're and they're a really proud city so that's really cool that you that you um got to got to do that so so that's my news so how are you doing wendy you know, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna be all right. I'm putting myself on the prayer list. Um, as we are recording, there are five days left of Black History Month. Um, when this episode drops, it will be the last day. Um, and let's try to forget the trash and remember the good things that have happened this month. This is been one of the worst black history months of my entire life mm. uh, but I do remember that Beyonce and Jay-Z took a picture with Meghan Markle uh, that was cool um, the song um, Black Woman came out from Tasty on um, uh, from Orange is the New Black uh, Black Panther was free at the movie theaters for two weeks so that was cool and yeah that's Al- awesome yeah and Aloe Black performed the Negro National Anthem at the not so Super Bowl and Kaepernick finally settled with the NFL um, so nice <laughs> yes mine eyes have seen the glory and I have been to <laughs> the mountaintop and I still have a motherfucking dream so amen so uh, <laughs> now we're gonna get into our listener letters we got we got a lovely email from Chastity so um, wait a minute where's the angels oh angels. oh my god oh my god oh my god so we're gonna get into our mailbag here we go we're gonna get into our mailbag <laughs> 
angels. Okay, so we got a lovely listener letter from Chastity. Um, and she said, Hey, Beth and Wendy, first of all, y'all are the shit. Thank you so much, Ma. Um, she said, I absolutely enjoy the show. I accidentally found Fruit Loops on Spotify when I was intensely searching for information on black serial killers. Yes, I could have used Google, but your show is way better. (laughs) I'm (laughs) I'm taking a course in criminal psychology. I have to compare other serial killers to the one my professor quote unquote created. Well, guess what? The serial killer she chose is a dude from your first episode, but she gave him a new name. Y'all remember Mr. Gudo. Anywho, mm-hmm. uh, you guys have been a great help with this course, and you mentioned a few things that I'm able to research and include in my coursework. All right, what's up? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That is really awesome. You ladies are awesome on many levels. Thank you very, very much. Um, so, she gave us a little bit of information. She said, in reference to the corpse collector episode, Oni or Anna. Jude was the runaway slave of George Washington. She is awesome because she was never caught. Oh, right. That's my bitch. The Fugitive Slave Act of 1793 was created with her in mind. Uh, He was a sore loser, Mr. George Washington. That's right. Um, And again, he has a reputation for being quite a vicious slave owner and holder. Um, Many people didn't know Washington was a slave owner because he wouldn't keep all his slaves in one place and would rotate them in and out of the house every six months. And so they seemed more like paid servants. What the fuck? You know, I think that had to do with um, something about the law at the time uh, in the state that they were in. um, Mm -hmm. Slavery was had been abolished. Okay. And so uh, they were people with slaves were allowed to have slaves with them for for six months. Oh, and then they couldn't. So so I think that may be the reason why I'm just guessing. Okay. But yeah, okay. when we were researching, I came across that. I was like, oh, what's just so heck? awful. They always they always find a fucking way to circumvent the system. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awful. So anyway, go ahead. And slavery wouldn't so hard to talk about if America would just acknowledge that it was a terrible thing and then do something about it and then mm-hmm. try to move forward. So, um, anywho, yeah. uh, she um, also gave us some tips on how not to get schmurdered and their fucking fire. So I'm going to save them for the end of the show when we get to how not to get schmurdered. Um, but she did go on to say many blessings and love signed chastity. So chastity, you, my girl, get all of all of them. Yeah, that's right. Those hip hop air horns are for you, Chastity. Um, also, <laughs> we got some new patrons this week. We got four. Yeah, that's awesome. So there's Chastity, my girl in Texas, Connie. How you doing, yo? Val, get out of my way from Arizona, a and Marlene. She's a killer in Oklahoma. Okay. <laughs> so hip hop air horns for each and every one of you. And thank you so, so much for our support. Keep an yeah. eye out for your merch. All right. Um, so now we're going to take a quick ad break and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. We would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us. For more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com 
or check out our website at fruitloopspod.com. So, uh, who are we talking about again, Beth? We're talking about Rodney Alcala, a Mexican-American man, or Chicano, who became known as the dating game killer because of his appearance on the TV matchmaking show, The Dating Game, in 1978, while in the midst of his killing spree. Uh, Yeah. Uh, If you get a second to go to YouTube and watch this clip please you you have permission to stop our show and go watch this ridiculousness yeah it's nuts yeah uh yeah yeah i i have no words uh so now we're gonna get into some stats all right rodrigo jaques alcala bucur is a mexican-american latinx man he was born in august on the 23rd in 1943 so he was a virgo take that for what it's worth um his aka's are the dating game killer uh john burger john burger spelled a little bit differently rod alcala and he was convicted of battery kidnapping murder probation violation rape and providing cannabis to a minor uh he had eight to 130 victims okay that is Quite a bit. That's a lot of victims, yeah. That is a hell of a lot of victims. Um, And uh, I had never heard of him before this. Had you? I had, but only in like 2010 um, when they shared some pictures. So we'll we'll get to that. But yeah, no, I hadn't heard about him in the 70s when this took place. Always good to check in with the OG of true crime, you know. So (laughs) Uh, his crimes took place from June 12th, 1971 to 1979 in possibly Washington State not sure california new york and wyoming and he was arrested on july 24th 1975 and now he's in state prison in corcoran california so now we are going to get into the setting so take it away beth so the setting is the 70s california and of new course. york <laughs> I heard on more than one documentary that because of the time period, criminal investigations were a lot different and sexual offenders were not treated with the same seriousness that they are today. Mm -hmm. So the 70s, woo, my favorite. Just kidding. I wasn't there. Uh, (laughs) It was kind of (laughs) a wild time. Uh, There were a lot of infamous serial killers during that time. Ted Bundy, Son of Sam, uh, John Wayne Gacy, the BTK killer, um, the Hillside Strangler, which turned out to be two dudes. Um, And these are all really, really famous cases. And somehow uh, Rodney Alcala is not. (laughs) Wonder why yeah. it's my favorite R word. <laughs> so this this was also during the time that John Douglas joined the FBI. And if you don't know who John Douglas is, well, he's an FBI agent who, along with his colleague, Robert Ressler, studied serial killers and came up with criminal profiling. He wrote the book Mindhunter that the Netflix television series is based on. Now, the television series, the FBI agents in it are fictionalized, but Holden Ford is based on John Douglas, and Bill Tench is based on Robert Ressler. Oh, I loved that series. Yeah, it was great. It was so good. And and a lot of it is based on on truth. 
Some of it's fictionalized, mm. but they did go and interview serial killers. Oh my god. Yeah, it's good. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> um additionally, <laughs> John Douglas was extensively consulted by Thomas Harris when he was researching for Silence of the Lambs, and Harris based the character of Jack Crawford, the head of the FBI Behavioral Science Unit and mentor to new profiler Clarice Starling on John Douglas. Right. So that's pretty cool. I love the shit out of John Douglas. I just think <laughs> I, I think he's really, really smart and uh, uh-huh. in, interesting and um, mm-hmm. still kind of humble. So, yeah, I'm going to get you a John Douglas pillow for Christmas oh, or for your sweet. birthday, maybe for your birthday. Would your head explode? Yes. How about John Douglas excited? and uh, Preet Bharara? <laughs> Oh my gosh, both One of, of them on the pillow so you can own. you will sleep so soundly. So soundly. <laughs> <laughs> so the 70s is also when I grew up. During the 70s, I was between the age of 5 and what, 15? Okay, <laughs> I can do okay, math. Okay. Okay, okay. And uh, one of the more distinct memories is when we lived in San Jose and my sister was missing. Uh, she wasn't really missing. Uh, she was at a friend's house. She'd asked my mom if she could go to her friend's birthday party. And my mom said yes, but my mom didn't realize that the party was going on right that second. <laughs> Whoops! She thought it was, you know, <laughs> in, in this weekend or you know, whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh-huh. <laughs> then my sister was missing, and we were out looking for her. And I don't know if someone had told me this prior or at the time or what, but I had it in my head that be- she'd been snatched by a guy in a van that everybody had Uh-oh. been talking about, <laughs> and I always wondered who that was. Um, if mm-hmm. it was like the Hillside Strangler, which was not in that area, but you know, people talk or okay. if it yeah. was an actual person at all, or just a composite boogeyman. Uh, but there were some active serial killers in the Bay area at that time. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> well, I can, I can understand why your head went there, Yeah, but your sister's okay, right? Oh, yeah, we found her. She came back from the birthday party and she was fine. <laughs> but it was really scary. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, well, that's uh, well, OK, here's what I'm going to say. I was born and raised in San Jose and shout out to the Bay and holy shit, that's a wild story. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, it anyway, in the 70s, it was easier for serial killers to get away with murder. It it just was. Um, DNA technology, other technologies, uh, interagency communication, that's that messy hoedness that I talk about, um, were in their infancy. Um, Also, uh, the, the, the profilers were only looking at certain people, not... Um, they didn't consider the fact that people of other races could, uh, commit these kinds of crimes. So there just weren't as many investigative tools at the time. Right. And it was also a time when parents were less concerned about where their kids were and what they were doing. And I remember my parents had like a, a boundary. You can go up to this street, down to that street. 
and over here mm-hmm. to the park, but you can't go outside of those areas. But they would just let mm-hmm. us loose, you know, they'd like, go play. Uh-huh. We would play yeah. all day long and then come home. <laughs> outside? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and and it was common all the kids were doing that you know the parents would be Mm -hmm. home doing housework or watching their stories or (laughs) whatever they were Uh doing uh and the kids were outside playing yeah Um, i've heard of this life yeah and it was definitely not a safer time uh we're actually safer these days believe it or not um but Mm -hmm. there was less in the way of media attention to crimes and we didn't have Mm -hmm. the internet or social media. So people were just less aware of what was going on Mm -hmm. and less scared. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was, I grew up in the late eighties and um, nineties and early two thousands. And we, I I mean, I would take the city bus to go to my friend's house. Um, We would ride our bikes everywhere. I would absolutely not let my kids do that today. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I mean, at some point, I guess I will have to, but like that idea, especially being so much into true crime, sounds fucking crazy. (laughs) Yeah, and we didn't have cell phones or anything, which which is kind of a leash in a way. You know, you can uh, Uh call your kids and ask what they're doing, make sure they're okay. Uh, We didn't have any of that either. So if, if we were gone at the park or whatever, and they were looking for us, you know, they, they couldn't call us or, you know, they'd have to drive around and look for us. (laughs) I know. Do you, I, I do remember those days. I mean, I had my brother, um, I think my, my brother quote unquote ran away um, and he was just like hiding at a park somewhere, but we had to drive around shouting his name, yeah. looking for him. Yeah. <laughs> and that was crazy. Yeah, that's so, crazy. Anyway, <laughs> now we'll just do cell phone pinging. Yep. Um, so now we're going to get into the killer's early life. So uh, what do you got for us, Beth? Rodney Alcala was born in San Antonio, Texas in 1943 to Raul Alcala Bacor. And I was curious about his name. So I looked, Mm -hmm. tried to figure out uh, where it came from. Uh, Raul, the Mm -hmm. spelling is French. Bacor Mm -hmm. appears to be French. Um, I I wasn't Mm -hmm. quite sure, but I think it's French and Alcala is Spanish. And uh, his mom's name was Ana Maria Gutierrez. So welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. Um, Now, uh, Rodney Alcala's father's name is actual evidence of colonization. Now, Mexico was at first colonized by Spain, uh, but there was a period of time shortly before its independence during the, actually the U.S. Civil War was going on, when the French jumped in uh, to try to help Mexican conservatives restore the monarchy. Uh, The French supported the Confederacy, and they were going to help the Confederate army as soon as they were done handling Mexico. Uh, (laughs) So fun fact about Mexico, uh, trying to free itself from colonization, Mexicans fighting for their independence inadvertently helped Lincoln, which 
eventually got us the Emancipation Proclamation. That's really interesting. Yeah, uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting history, history, which I would have loved to have learned in school. In school, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, his father uh, ended up moving the family to Mexico when Alcala was eight years old, uh, only to abandon them there three years later. I read that Rodney's grandmother lived in Mexico, and that's why they moved there. But I wasn't clear on whether it was his mom's or his dad's mother. But I think it was his dad's mother, because after she died is when uh, his father abandoned the family. But in any case, Rodney's mother then moved Alcala and his sisters to suburban Los Angeles. At the age of 17, Alcala entered the army as a clerk but went AWOL and hitchhiked all the way to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, to his mother's home in Los Angeles. He later turned himself in and was hospitalized for a nervous breakdown, quote unquote. There he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder by a military psychiatrist. The personality disorder is characterized by disregard of social norms and lack of empathy with the feelings of others, and it's commonly known as psychopathy. Uh, I was, I was just, I was like all ready to be like, Beth, can you tell us what that means? But thank you, you already did. <laughs> uh, the psychiatrist could not explain how the disorder developed or what triggered it. Nowhere was there any indication that Alcala was ever had ever undergone a, a trauma um, explaining why he had the typical characteristics of a psychopath. His commanding officer also wrote a report that said Alcala was a selfish man who manipulates others and is only driven by his own personal gain. That guy had his number. Oh, yes. Alcala was medically discharged due to mental health issues. And then he went on to attend UCLA, graduating with a bachelor's degree in fine art. Alcala claimed to have a genius level IQ. He claimed that himself. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, his IQ has been reported in various places to be anywhere from 135 and 160. Me too. Just kidding. <laughs> According to some reports, the, <laughs> the military recorded his IQ at 140. Just goes to show that IQ doesn't really count where it really matters. Yeah, that's a so, fact. Yeah. And I, I suspect that uh, Alcala claimed that he had a 160 IQ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, pro he probably did. Yeah. He probably did boast about that. <laughs> So now we are going to get into the timeline. So hit it, Beth. <laughs> in 1968, a motorist in Los Angeles saw Alcala lure an eight-year-old schoolgirl into his car. Alcala offered her a ride to school, but the girl named Tally Shapiro told Alcala that she wasn't supposed to talk to strangers. He told her that he wasn't a stranger and that he knew her mom and dad. So she went ahead and got into his car. 
And uh, this is actually typical of kids. Uh, they can be tricked like that. Mm -hmm. So talk to your mm -hmm. kids about different mm -hmm. things strangers can say to trick them into trusting them. Well, I don't know if you remember, but in one of our uh, episodes, a few episodes back, we talked about serial killer news, I think. And uh, a young girl was given a code word by her mom and a man approached her in a vehicle just like this situation and said, your, your mom told me to come and get you. And she goes, what's the code word, my G? And he, he goes, yeah. I don't know. And drove away <laughs> and saved. Yep. His life was saved. Yeah. So, uh, so get a code word. Get a code word. It's a quick way. To, I mean, if you don't, because I, I am troubled by having to explain to my children how terrible the world can be. And so if I, I, I'm not ready to get into that discussion with them yet. Right. So I'll just say, look, here's the code word. If, if you don't get it, then you don't go. Right. Like, just, we'll just leave it at that for now. Yeah. We'll get it. We'll get into the terrible shit later. later okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, the good Samaritan, Donald Haynes followed the car to Alcala's Hollywood apartment and then notified police of his suspicions. When police officers broke in, they found the girl who had been raped and nearly beaten to death and strangled with a steel bar, but just missed Alcala, who escaped out the back door. Alcala had just been setting up a lamp, a camera, and a tripod in the kitchen, which was the actual crime scene, when the police officer had surprised him. Tally was in a coma for four months, but she survived. Oh my gosh. Round of applause for this girl. Yeah. I'm so like proud that, and happy that she made it. Yeah. Yes. Shout out to you, Tali. <laughs> <laughs> That's an applause in case you didn't know. Um, Alcala, <laughs> Alcala remained a fugitive for uh, years afterward, and the FBI put Alcala on its 10 most wanted list. Alcala fled to New York and used the alias John Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R, -E to enroll in film school at New York University, where, ironically enough, he studied under Roman Polanski, that crazy white man you see in courtroom photos, <laughs> uh, who also was another famous serial of sexual offender who often gets a pass because his wife was Sharon Tate, the actress who was murdered by the Manson family when she was eight months pregnant. Yeah. Ew, this is a web. Yeah, it sure is. On uh, June 12th, 1971, Around five o'clock in the afternoon, the telephone was ringing in the office of a young New York prosecutor named Leon Bornstein. On the other end of the line was the mother of his girlfriend, Cornelia Crilly. She told Bornstein that Cornelia was missing. Bornstein tried to calm her down and asked what exactly happened. Mother and daughter telephoned regularly, often several times a day. They had already spoken to each other twice that day. Uh, it was a special day in the life of Cornelia Criley, uh, the 23-year-old TWA stewardess. Do, is that an appropriate term nowadays? Stewardess? She's flight attendant. Uh, had moved to a new apartment with two colleagues, and she was excited. But Cornelia had to manage the move because her roommates had been scheduled for a flight uh, on short notice. Cornelia had arranged another phone call with her mother for 2 p.m., but Cornelia had not answered the phone. 
Even when her mother tried every five minutes, her mother was worried. Leon Bornstein left his office and went to his girlfriend's new address. There was no response to his knocking or calling, so Bornstein went to the nearest police station. As a prosecutor, he knew some of the officers personally, and he was able to persuade two of the policemen to accompany him to his girlfriend's home. Cornelia Criley was found raped and murdered in her new Manhattan apartment. Uh, Criley had been stripped naked and she had been strangled with nylon stocking. There was something stuffed in her mouth, probably to keep her from screaming, and there was a bite mark on her breast. Cornelia Criley was seen around 12.30 p.m. struggling in the midday sun with a heavy sofa on the sidewalk. She had apparently intended to somehow get the furniture to the second floor by herself. The police speculated that the perpetrator had just turned up at the right moment and offered the woman his help. Oh my gosh. Now I'm thinking now I'm thinking of all the times where like dudes have been like, let, let me, me help. help you with yeah. that. <laughs> From now on I would be like, nope. No, <laughs> don't kill me. Fuck off. <laughs> Yeah. Fuck you. No. <laughs> no, no, don't 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 we normally think that that is like a that's like a it's normally a, a good chival- thing like chivalrous very nice thing surprised. to do. Yeah. That's chivalry. Yeah. Yes, but it could it can it turns out it, it can, can get, get you, you murdered. Yeah. Oh, me oh my. Well, uh police investigated Cornelia's murder, but with almost 2000 killings in New York in 1971, investigators could not close the case. Uh, by the way, there's a movie about um, the deadliest year in uh, New York. I can't think of it, but it, it's really good and you should check, find it. <laughs> um, anyway, they had no real leads. <laughs> they didn't have the forensic tools that we have today. So they did what they could. And the case just went cold and it stayed cold for 40 fucking years. Yeah. Rodney Alcala wasn't even a suspect. Okay. After the murder, Alcala moved to New Hampshire, and he landed a summer job as a counselor at an arts and drama camp for girls, using the name John Berger. Two girls from the camp walked down to the post office one day, and they saw the uh, FBI 10 Most Wanted poster and recognized their counselor, Mr. Berger. They informed the camp dean, who called the police. And Alcala was finally arrested for the rape and attempted murder of Tally Shapiro. Nothing about that is good. <laughs> he's, at, he's, at, he's at a camp full of girls. I know. Uh, I know. Oh, boy. Can you imagine go, going into the post office and seeing somebody you know on the 10 most wanted list? <laughs> oh, holy shit. I would, I would, I would like. I, first, I would crap my pants like right away and then be like, like, what do I do yeah. next? But shout out to these girls who were like, we should let yeah, somebody know. Yeah, good for them. We know this. Smart. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Tali Shapiro and her family had moved to Mexico. So in 1972, Alcala was allowed to plead guilty to molestation only, for which he was required to be placed on the sex offenders list. He was paroled. After 34 months in 1974, under the indeterminate sentencing program, popular at the time, which allowed parole boards to release offenders as soon as they demonstrated evidence of rehabilitation. In 1974, Alcala offered a 13-year-old girl, known in court papers only as Julie J., a ride to school. 
but instead of taking her to school, he took her to a park. Julie became frightened when Alcala did not take her to the school as promised. So at the park, he lit up a joint, he puffed it up and then passed it to her and demanded that she smoke it. When she did, she coughed and he laughed. Sensing a chance to get away, she got up to run, but he grabbed her and began assaulting her. Luckily for Julie, a park ranger smelled the marijuana and found the two. Julie rushed to the ranger and asked him for help. She told him that the man had forced her to go with him and smoke the joint. Alcala was arrested for kidnapping. He was later convicted of violating his parole and giving marijuana to a 13-year-old girl. He served another two years. I just got to interject here. Now, in my mind, going to prison is like one of the worst things that could ever happen to you. But he's like... One or two years, no big deal. I'm out of here, and uh, and then just like starts yeah, his life because well, most people's lives committing crimes just does not give a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most, but most people's lives are over. But this man continues to live and thrive and enjoy his mm-hmm. life after he gets out of prison, which is not the no. norm. So uh, after he was paroled on June 16th, 1977, his parole officer allowed Alcala travel to New York to visit relatives, quote unquote. In July 1977, New York City was in the midst of severe financial crisis and a brutal heat wave. Part of the financial crisis was a consequence of the countrywide economic crisis at the time, and part was due to drastic austerity measures adopted by the New York administration. By the mid-1970s, the number of police detectives had been reduced by almost half. On top of that, New York City experienced a blackout on July 13th. By the time the power came back on, 25 hours later, arsonists had set more than 1,000 fires and looters had ransacked uh, 1,600 stores. Interesting. Uh, I um, I feel a, way, a type of way about... Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. But there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruitlips HQ. Oh yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp. And especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, Mm -hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And uh, now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fruit. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit 
fruit. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow, that's amazing. Now, if you want kids today or in the future, never or are undecided, it's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit. That's modernfertility.com slash fruit people who um about looting in general um looters um usually they're referring to black people who go into stores during a crisis to get um resources supplies and also things that they didn't have access to before for um reasons relating to um segregation uh, and uh, predatory lending and uh, redlining and um, uh, racism. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it, I, I, it's, it's a, I, it, looting is a touchy subject. Looting is, uh, I don't look at it as m- maybe, um, maybe my mother-in-law might look at looting as a really evil thing that people of color do um, when something really bad happens and that it causes a lot of chaos, but I do not. I, I just look at it as people just seeing, trying to seeing an opportunity, and yeah. get, get, seeing an opportunity and that, that they would have never had otherwise. And they're not really, it's not like it's a victimless crime, but um, they they might see it as a victimless crime because you're robbing stores, not people. Yeah, they, they but might see it that, that way. Those stores were 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 probably going to call the police on them for entering the store anyway. You yeah. know what I mean? So that's that's where that's that's how I see looting. And um, this is a, a, a great debatable issue, and I I hope that I'm starting a conversation. Um, but anyway, Fruit Loops. <laughs> I was going to say that I thought that when I was. Uh, uh, reading all this information about this time period and this month um, when all this shit mm-hmm. was going down, um, some of it probably had to do with the financial crisis, um, people being poor, yeah. and then also uh, uh-huh. the police, you know, there being less police, thus resources because mm-hmm. um, of the austerity measures. And then it was just a shitty time because it was um, hot 
which makes people crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then there was a blackout. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it was an opportunity. Uh-huh. That's how I, I, I read it, this particular part of the story. Yeah. And I, but I also want to consider too, that, um, less police, I think is what people, what people who are not POCs might, might think that's the reason why everything went wrong. Um, but it has nothing to do with the lack of police. Um, police don't, in my opinion, prevent crime or really help people. (laughs) And, and so, uh, 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 the lack of police in they can definitely exacerbate a situation that's for sure a hundred percent i'm watching the sandra bland uh documentary right now i'm so angry i'm just i'm i'm in i'm at like a like my nerve like, it's almost like my 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 police valve is getting a root canal. That's, <laughs> that's how sensitive i am about police police right now uh but uh so, so I, 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 I just think that there needs to be room in the conversation that we have about policing, riots, looting, economically uh, discouraged communities uh, who loot in the events and uh, times of crisis. That it's it's not just poor people wiling out; it's it's people seizing an opportunity right. um that's 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 all i just it's not just all these bad people like yeah just, well, let's rob all the white people nobody's i understand that. uh <laughs> why they do it you know it, it, it makes yeah. total sense mm-hmm. and it's not because they don't care about their communities because they do but their communities are under siege already all yeah. the time so um, so I guess I should get into the then next the story, part of the yeah. story. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so to make matters even worse, for a year, a mysterious serial killer had been terrorizing the city. The perpetrator had last uh, killed in late June of 1977. In his letters to the police and press, in which he called himself Son of Sam, he threatened to kill again. People were anxious and very scared. 23-year-old Ellen Hover had recently moved to Manhattan after graduating from Beaver College, which is now Arcadia University. And this was in the small town of Glenside, Pennsylvania. She was a gifted pianist who loved music, and as a biology major, she had med school in her future. She was happy and excited to be living in New York City. She may have owed some of her optimism to the kind of sheltered environment in which she had grown up. Her father was Herman Hover, who at one time owned Ciro's, the famed Hollywood nightclub of the 40s and 50s. Ooh. Hey, by the way, so we're planning uh, the company's anniversary uh-huh. dinner. <laughs> and we went to we went to this hotel and they uh, were, we were scoping it out for the for the event. And uh, they were like, uh, oh, look at all these cool pictures of all these people who these famous people who frequented our famous, wonderful hotel. And since it's Black History Month, I'm not apologizing to anybody. So my first question was. <clears throat> When did you guys integrate? <laughs> and the little the little the little white girl event planner was extremely uncomfortable. And then she goes, uh, and then I go, uh, well, I was just uh noticing that uh <clears throat> there's not one person of color on your wall of quote unquote amazing art. Right. And she 
<laughs> she she gave me a bullshit explanation like well this is this is all that was um available to us and um so we uh this we just um put up what they gave us um so uh anyway um how, how many how many round tables would you guys like <laughs> i was like man <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> you gotta call yeah. them out you gotta call them out man because <laughs> they don't know they don't they don't she didn't even see that yeah it was problematic yeah, she might now she uh go it. look for a picture who knows who knows they better put one up by the time we get there <laughs> next time because that's probably where we're gonna have this party so <laughs> anyway so this club from the 40s and 50s was frequented by stars like marilyn monroe Cary Grant, Humphrey Bogart, and Frank Sinatra. It has been reported that Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin were, uh, they were Ellen's godfathers. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Her grandmother was a well-known gossip columnist. Her aunt, Sheila Weller, wrote the magazine Vanity Fair. Uh, And her mother, Yvonne, after a divorce from Ellen's father, married successful New York lawyer Reuben Schwartz, who had an estate in Westchester. So this girl was connected. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's obviously she's, this, she's a she's a pretty well known white yeah. lady, which is gonna get some headlines. <laughs> Anita Sobel Feinberg, Hover's roommate at Beaver College, said despite the money in Ellen's family, she never confused what she had with who she was. She had no sense of entitlement, Feinberg said. Ellen was a sweet, gentle, unaffected person who was unfailingly polite. She would say please when she asked the waitress for a glass of water, Feinberg said, and thank you when it was put down. Hmm. Sounds like a nice lady. Yeah. Um, she loved to play piano, spend time with family, friends, and go to parties. Feinberg recalled. And she was beautiful and very popular with men. Guys always loved Ellen. And for Ellen Hover, the economic crisis, the blackout, and the son of Sam were not threats, but an adventure that made every new day even more exciting. I can kind of relate to that at, at that age. Like nothing, okay. nothing okay. seems okay. like it's going to touch you, you know, especially coming from that okay. kind of a background okay. where nothing ever had touched mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. So, she, you know, these things were mm-hmm. exciting to her rather than scary. Oh, I see. Okay. That's okay. that's what I think. I, I don't really know. I'm just making this shit up. <laughs> no, no. And, and look, look, this is a perspective mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with. That's why I'm so appreciative of it. Thank you, Beth. You're welcome. <laughs> so on uh, July 15th, Ellen Hover left her Third Avenue apartment for an appointment with a photographer who had asked to take pictures of her. His name, he'd told her, was John Berger, and she jotted his name down in her planner. She never returned. Her body wasn't discovered until the following year. Ellen's bones had been found at the old Rockefeller estate. Wait, Rockefeller? People Don't people go there all the time? In Westchester County, New York? It was a favorite photo shoot location for Alcala. Uh, it was also not far from her stepfather's estate. Then on uh, November 10th, 1977, the body of 18-year-old Jill Barcombe was found in the Hollywood Hills. She had recently moved to L.A. from Oneida, New York. She had traveled with a couple of friends in a VW bus across the U.S. to California. 
her strict Catholic parents had become too much for her, and she'd run away. She had been in L.A. for about two months, living on her own, when she was picked up by Alcala. She was sexually assaulted, bludgeoned, and strangled with three different ligatures, nylon stockings, a belt, and a pant leg from a pair of blue pants, which belonged to her. That's a lot of ligatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, pol- <laughs> police believe that the ligatures broke one by one as he strangled her, brought her back, and then strangled her again. Her skull had been crushed with a rock to the point where she was unrecognizable. Then her body was posed as if for a photograph. The attack has been described as animalistic and brutal. Biological material was collected as an aside. Because he lived in the neighborhood where the body was found, Marlon Brando was also questioned by police. Yeah, so we're doing a lot of name dropping in this in this episode. A lot of name dropping <laughs> yeah. in this episode. Kind yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood. <laughs> All right. Then on December 14th, 1977, officials brought Rodney Alcala in for questioning in the Hover disappearance. Uh, Her body had not been found yet. Um, They expected him to deny everything, but Alcala surprised them. He did not just admit to knowing Ellen Hover. He also told them, frankly, that he had talked to her for a long time. Ellen Hover showed interest in oh. professional photos, so he made a date with her for a photo shoot on the 15th of July. Ooh, he admitted that shit. Okay. He told them that he had picked her up at noon that day, and they drove out of Manhattan half an hour north into the green countryside of West Chester County. Uh, they had done a photo shoot and then returned to Manhattan. He dropped her off at her front door and never saw her again, he said. Where she had gone after that, he did not know. The officials had nothing to pressure him with. There was no body. Um, there was not even any solid evidence that Ellen Hover had fallen victim to a crime. So they let him go. Then on December 15th, 1977, one day later... 27-year-old nurse Georgia Wickstead visited a bar after work with a colleague. The girlfriend then dropped her off at her home. The next day, Georgia did not come to work, and her colleagues tried to reach her by phone. She was considered extremely reliable, so after trying to reach her in vain, the hospital finally asked local police to send a patrol to Wickstead's home in Malibu to check on her. The police noticed fresh break-in marks on one of the windows. They then entered the apartment and found the naked corpse of Georgia Wickstead on the floor. The perpetrator had brutally raped, strangled, and murdered the 27-year-old. She had also been bludgeoned with a claw hammer. Yikes. But Alcala had left a palm print behind and biological material was collected. In 1978, despite his criminal history and the fact that he was a registered sex offender, Alcala somehow got a job at the Los Angeles Times as a typesetter. What the fuck? <laughs> and this was under his real name. You can just commit crimes and get new jobs like nothing? What is that Sam <laughs> Hell? <laughs> and this was in the midst of their coverage of the Hillside Strangler murders. Oh, Lord have mercy. 
Okay. During um, this period, Alcala also convinced dozens of young women that he was a professional f- fashion photographer and uh, photographed them for his portfolio. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is that uh, uh, the dating game killer is a Latinx gentleman, but he is not a, a dark-skinned Latinx gentleman. Right. Um, he uh, he is what we might call white adjacent, uh, and 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 he was able to use his um, white passing privilege. And I just wanted to mention that because it is an element of the story and I think why he was able to do this for such a long time. So uh, with so many names over so many states, (laughs) it's crazy. Uh, So uh, in the spring of 1978, as we mentioned, the LAPD was searching for the Hillside Strangler as part of the investigation All sex offenders registered in the greater Los Angeles area were reviewed, and the name Rodney Alcala came up. Two detectives visited Alcala in March of 1978 at his mother's house where he still lived. Although he had nothing to do with that particular murder series, he looked good for it to the cops. So they took him in for an interview. He conceded nothing but was found with a little bit of marijuana. So again, Alcala spent a few months in jail. He was released in June of 1978. So later on June 24th, 1978, Charlotte Lamb, a 32-year-old legal secretary from Santa Monica, was found in the laundry room of the El Segundo apartment complex where she lived. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled with a shoelace. Oh, that sounds awful. Um, Charlotte had also been posed like Jill Barcombe had been at the scene. The police collected biological material. Then on September 13th, 1978, Cheryl Bradshaw was the bachelorette on the popular TV matchmaking show, The Dating Game. One of the bachelors was Rodney Alcala. And one of the questions that she asked him during the show was, what's your best time? The best time is night, Alcala grinned. Nighttime. <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. He also, she also asked him, she was like, uh, so we're at dinner and there's a plate of food. What food would you be? And he was like, I would be a banana. And like, I was like, <laughs> what? Like a banana at dinner. Huh? Are you crazy? Yeah, and then then he said, "Peel me." <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh no, That's so no, gross, no. sir. So gross, sir. You can keep that banana to your damn self. No, I will not. I will not. Anyway, from the, from the lineup of the three eligible bachelors, she chose bachelor number one. Guess who? Ding ding, Rodney Alcala. But after the show ended, she conversed with Alcala backstage and uh, he offered her a date that, that she'd never forget. Bradshaw got the feeling that her handsome potential suitor was a little off. I started to feel ill, Bradshaw told the Sydney Telegraph in 2012. He was acting oh. really creepy. I turned down his offer and I did not want to see him again. 
Another one of the episode's bachelors, actor Jed Mills, recalled to LA Weekly that Rodney was kind of quiet. I remember him because I told my brother about this one guy who was kind of good looking, but kind of creepy. He was always looking down and not making eye contact. Oh, interesting. Is that, I wonder if, if that, is that a, I was just wondering if that was a trait of serial killers or people with antisocial personality disorder. I don't think so. Down. Don't make eye I contact. Don't, I don't think so. I think a lot of them actually do make eye contact. Do. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. yeah. Like, cause they're pretending to be super awesome. Right. And so they look you in the eye, but right. um, obviously he was not as awesome as he Or so, he so was. this guy says. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, It's just one account, obviously. Uh, Had the popular dating show performed background checks on their bachelors, they would have discovered that this kind of good-looking but kind of creepy guy had already spent three years in prison for raping and beating an eight-year-old girl. (laughs) Oh, my God. You guys. Yeah. And that he was a registered sex offender. But Cheryl Bradshaw's rejection likely only fueled Alcala's fire. On February 13, 1979, Alcala picked up 15-year-old Monique Hoyt, who had run away from home and was hitchhiking in Riverside. After spending the night at his apartment and actually having consensual sex, Alcala asked if she would pose for photographs for him. He said he would pay her and she agreed. He took her up into the mountains around Los Angeles and after taking some photographs of her, knocked her unconscious with a tree branch and raped her. Oh no. Oh, this poor girl. Um, She was just a child, by the way. Mm -hmm. She became conscious during the attack, but feigned unconsciousness. Afterwards, uh, he began to cry. She was able to talk him down and talk him into taking her back to town. But At a gas station, she got away and ran to a nearby motel for help. Alcala was arrested again, and bail was set at $10,000? That's it? His mom bailed him out. So I want to say hip-hop air horns for Monique Hoyt, who uh, was able to escape him, talk him down. She Mm -hmm. has to be really, really smart. Uh Uh-huh. Shout out to my sis. Yes. Mm -hmm. On June 13th, 1979, 21-year-old Jill Parenteau left work for a date. She and her date, who was not Alcala, went to a Dodgers baseball game. The next day, she did not come to work. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps, but there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruitless HQ. Oh, yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, Mm -hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And now 
I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying, sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash fruit. That's BetterHelp.com slash fruit. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy an affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000 but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow! That's amazing! Yeah. Now, if you want kids today or in the future never or are undecided. It's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. The office contacted the police who entered Parento's apartment in Burbank. The perpetrator had broken into her apartment and had probably surprised her in her sleep. The policeman found Jill naked on the floor of the bathroom, raped, strangled, and beaten. She was also posed as if for a photograph. When the perpetrator had broken into the apartment, he broke in the window and cut himself on a piece of broken glass. The police secured the biological material. Yes. Kathy Bryant, a friend of Jill's, had seen Alcala several times in a club where she regularly went with Parento. He had asked Jill to dance, and she had danced with him, but when he asked her for her phone number, she declined to give it to him. According to another friend of Jill's named Nancy, Kathy was shown a lineup of photographs, and she picked Alcala out of the lineup. Nancy believed that Alcala was suspected of the murder at the time, and the police believed that Alcala had followed Jill home to see where she lived, then came back another night to murder her. Nice guy. Mm -hmm. On June 20th, 1979, Robin Samso, who was 12, disappeared near the Huntington Beach Pier. She had spent the day at the beach with her girlfriends and had been approached by a man who wanted to photograph them, but he left when an adult that they knew showed up. Um, I remember this one from the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, so Robin uh, was to attend ballet class later that day, so she left the beach on a bicycle, headed for class, and was never seen alive again. At some point between the beach and class, Samso disappeared. 
Her body was found 12 days later in a forested area near the Pasadena foothills of the Sierra Madre. Park ranger Dana Crappa had seen a man leading a girl up into the bushes on June 20th, but she didn't do anything about it. Right. After Robin's well-publicized disappearance, she went back to that area and found Robin's decomposing body on July 2nd, 1979. Oh my God, that's horrifying. I know. That's awful. Um, well, uh, Fruit Loops Pod Squad, that's where we're going to end this episode this week. Uh, we don't want to go too long. So tune in next week when we will have uh, finished the timeline. We will have gotten into the investigation and we have made uh, a determination as to what made this motherfucker snap. <laughs> and then we will also talk about where they are now. So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So <clears throat> if you love to cry, man, you don't want to die. Here's a tip for you. <laughs> <laughs> so this segment is yeah. not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we will have no suggestions for a particular episode, so we'll just offer up generic tips. That's right. So this, again, is from Chastity, who's one of our listeners. She um, sent us a nice, kind email and left us some fire-ass tips on how not to get murdered. Uh, she says, number one, pray often. Number two, now, I am going to have to asterisk the shit out of this, underline it, and put it in bold. Get a black female friend with some sense and listen to her, okay? <laughs> Hip-hop air horns to that tip, okay? <clears throat> also, trust yourself. If you have a weird feeling, it's better to take another route or don't go. Has literally saved her from being uh, in shootings. Wow. Um. If someone grabs you, especially from behind, try to drop down like a two-year-old who doesn't want to leave the park. <laughs> this could knock a person off balance and give you space to run. That is a good that tip. Is. Stop that is. Stop dropping. That is a good like. Just stop <laughs> drop. Yeah, just stop dropping. Act like the toddler who drives you nuts. Uh, <laughs> Life saved. Because <laughs> I always, I always say like somebody could kidnap my kids kids but they would definitely bring them back because <laughs> they're awful <laughs> so what do you got Beth? so as as i mentioned earlier talk to your kids about stranger danger and the things that strangers mm -hmm. can do to trick them into trusting them and i'll put links yeah. in our show notes about how to talk to your kids i found a couple of them uh about Oh, how, good. Yeah. Thank you. How to talk to your kids about strangers without scaring the shit out of them. And tips for oh, kids yeah. <laughs> to keep them safe. And I'll just read one of the mm -hmm. tips, uh, which I thought was great. So this is it. Tell your children that if a stranger tries to take them, all manners are out the window. Tell them they are allowed to hit, scream, and make a scene. 
give them some suggestions. Like if they're in a store, tell them to knock things off the shelf because knocking things over will get the attention of more people who will then take a closer look at what's going on. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That is a good tip. I thought so too. I like that one. Like, I'm sorry. Just go nuts, man. That was great. Oh, man. I'm just like, I'm just like picturing it unfold. Oh, my God. That's how I can save my children's lives. Yes. Thank you so much. And there's more. There's more too. So, so look for those tips in our show notes and, and how to talk to your kids about strangers without scaring the shit out of them. <laughs> yes thank you oh my god okay so now we are going to get into some serial killer or true crime news so um i wanted to just mention that um we i have known personally just because of how i feel about being as a, a poc queer woman in the world uh understanding that hate crimes are on the rise, but the numbers are in and it's true. Uh, hate crimes are at an all time high. That said, uh, Jesse Smollett, I feel like we have to talk about him. Have you heard about yes, this case? Ben? Yes. We talked about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And the day it happened, I actually t- chatted with you at work and I was like, I don't think I can get any more work done. Like this is this, this too much. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> he may have made it up. I'm not prepared to say yet that he did, but um, because for good reason, I do not trust the Chicago police department who for decades had a torture center in town where they would um, take black men and put cattle prods on their testicles, put poison in their noses to get them to confess to crimes that they did not do. Um, and they were, uh, I, I don't know if they went to trial or if they just settled for it, but they were pursued for this and, and, and the Chicago PD folded because the, the evidence was against them was just too much. So, um, they also, uh, shot Laquan McDonald, a 16 year old black boy who they shot 17 times, um, just a few years ago and they refused to release the tape, um, for, over a year it took them to get it out. Um, so for us to take the Chicago PD at their word, I think is a mistake. And I think it's what's important to remember is that hate crimes against POC, LGBTQ, minority people, women is very real. And it happens all the goddamn time. And it's worse now than it has yeah. ever been before and the day before jesse made his released his story uh the day of that he released his story and the day after and the days since uh his story came out someone else has been the victim of a hate crime and they're not fake the hate crimes are real and i some people just don't want to believe that, that this kind of thing really happens, but it does. And I think that's what, whatever Jesse was doing, that's what he was trying to, trying to shed light on. And I, you know, I don't, again, I don't know if it's really fake, but whatever this happens, this happens to people, especially black trans women. We cannot forget about our black oh, trans yeah. female community. Um, but that should be part of the conversation. Every time you mention Jesse Smollett's name, um, every time it comes, his name comes out of your mouth about the story, no matter what really happened, let's continue to believe the victims and investigate and, 
and that's it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. I had a hinky feeling when that story came out. I, I don't know why. Yeah, understood. Uh, maybe it uh-huh. seemed uh, too perfect to be true. Um, yeah. And not that these things. He went to Subway. Yeah. He went to Subway at 2 a.m. <laughs> for a tuna sandwich. Uh, that's weird. And, and it, it was, it, I think it had something to do with the things that they said to him, which um, it just also, didn't ring true. what white people are at the South Side of Chicago yeah. at 2 a.m.? That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember exactly what they <laughs> supposedly said to him, but it, it, the just the wording was like, mm, I don't know. But uh, I yeah. also know that these things happen. They absolutely do happen. Um, and so uh-huh. I, I set that hinky feeling aside. Um, mm-hmm. But it, something about it didn't ring true. And it's still, it might yeah. be true. It could be true. But mm-hmm. I did have that kinky feeling. And I just yeah. think it's unfortunate that if he did make it up and he did hire these guys to do this, um, that it will take away from the true stories, the things that are actually happening. Right. And and I just think that's right. sad and unfortunate. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. Again, there's... I don't know. We're not, we're not going to disassemble this issue tonight no. while we're recording this one episode. No. But I do hope what it does do is get you guys to think who are listening and get you guys to have conversations with the people because it's worthy of conversation. Beth, I'm not uncomfortable having this conversation with you about right. whether or not this was a true story. Right. And I and I think that uh, it, you you sh- you should be lucky enough to have a white or black friend to have a conversation or, or Jewish friend or an, any minority friend, um, anybody, actually anybody in general to have a conversation with somebody about this after this situation. Right. So that's, that's the good. That right. We should take right. Let's, let's, let's have more conversations about yeah. this. So now we're going to get into our shout outs and it's where we shout out any content by people of color about people of color or any um, true crime goodies or any other minority stuff that's around. <laughs> so um, I wanted to, I wanted to shout out thirst aid kit um, so, uh, thirst aid kit is a podcast by, uh, two women of color, two black women. One is a British, um, I think Nigerian journalist. Her name's Bim Adewuniwi. Um, I'm no, I pronounced her last name wrong. At, sis, sis, please forgive me. We just we just call her Bim. Bim. That's yeah, that's it's Bim. how I that's how I know you. That's how I know you. Okay, Bim. And I am a big fan of yours. So please don't take me trying to pronounce your last name so these white people can get get at you uh and find you like as a as a disc. Because I'm just I'm just trying to get you more findable. So anyway, Bim, <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh and then also uh writer Nicole Perkins, who's also another black woman, um, but she's uh American. She's an American black woman. And they talk about celebrity lust and sexual desire. You know, what we do when we lust out loud. And for those that don't know who thirst in this context is defined by um, uh, Urban Dictionary as a form of lust or want 
of members of the opposite sex. This term can refer to both males and females, and it is so fun. If you were thirsty before <laughs> you listened, you, you will find yourself quenched after. <laughs> um, one of the thirst episodes they did was about Mark Ruffalo. And my mouth is just watering, like saying Mark Ruffalo's name, because <laughs> whew, if there's a white, if there's, I will leave my husband, Mark Ruffalo. Are you listening? Uh, old whitey who uh, is, is all I have to say when Mark Ruffalo comes up. Anyway, uh, 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 but, but Mark Ruffalo, they, so they did, a, they did a Mark Ruffalo episode and they do an episode about a bunch of, each episode is about a famous like sexy person, a sexy person. And, and they get to talk about them in like really fun ways. Um, but black women, uh, myself included, seem to especially love this Mark Ruffalo character. And we, we secretly love a lot of white boys, but we don't really get to talk about it. Um, and uh, they played on YouTube, a video of Mark Ruffalo reading his thirst tweets. And <laughs> people were like, talking about like, I don't need to eat anymore if Mark Ruffalo is in my mouth. Like, <laughs> like, like people say crazy, crazy things about Mark Ruffalo. And he, he was, he was so uncomfortable reading his thirst tweets, but it felt so good because it was like, he knows that we love him that much. Uh, so anyway, uh, so they talk, they, they, they just talk about lust and celebrities in, in a way that, um, women of color, color haven't really ever been al allowed to do God, that God bless podcasting and God bless the internet. Yeah. Cause now we can say this crazy, this, this shit that <laughs> everybody else gets to say on other platforms. What we get to say now on podcasting. Yes. Mark Ruffalo. We love you. Yes. Thor, you can get in my mentions and slide into my DMS. <laughs> yes. Who's the, who's the white guy who plays captain America? Yes. I do want to sit on your face. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, so anyway, so that's that's the podcast I'm I'm recommending is I'm so, sorry, I'm so stupid. It is it's Thirst Aid Kit and it is it is really good. This I'm just saying women of color, we don't we we have not had a, a place where we could get to talk about this kind of stuff. And this this is any anybody's face you want to sit on, you can listen to this podcast. And yeah, you, get, and you seem really, really excited about this podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's really good. These, these, I'm, sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, anyway, so what's your? Uh, did you have a record? I, uh, I don't. I don't really know. Like what's what happening? What, what's happening? Uh, I went. I went so left field that I'm really lost now. Um, that's uh, it. That's okay. it. That's that's. Hang on. Help me. Help me. Okay. That's okay. It. All right. Well, I guess. <laughs> I guess that is all for today. We'll get into part two next week. <laughs> Sit on some more faces. Oh, just kidding. Um. <laughs> 
Mark Ruffalo, are you listening? Um, anyway, uh, so Beth, where can the people find us? Oh my God. <laughs> Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook, where you can talk about Mark oh, Ruffalo and all that. <laughs> Yes. We are also on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at Fruit Loops Pod, hashtag Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> and oh links to our sources oh will be in our footnotes. <laughs> if you if you want to support the show, you can Woo! send us a donation Woo! on the Cash App or just send in Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, or can't. you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean <laughs> patron page. <laughs> this will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting and Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> There's no minimum oh, and no oh. commitment. Even a dollar oh, would no. help us oh. pay for Mark it Ruffalo. It would, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, yes. Is Mark listening? <laughs> Because, because, <laughs> Mark, if you're listening, this is a weekly podcast, Mark Ruffalo, and new episodes drop every week, Mr. Ruffalo. And um, until next time, Mark Ruffalo, <laughs> <laughs> look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. <laughs> <laughs> On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. 
We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.